All right. Thank you very much, Mark, as well as Dan, worship team. Good to see all of you this morning. Hope you're doing well. If you would, turn to Acts chapter 1. We've been talking about the love of God in terms of 1 Corinthians 13 and being patient and being kind. I want to take some time to help us think about the uh, context in which God calls us to be patient and kind, which is the culture we live in, which is our time in history. And so um, I think it's always good at various points to try to think through what's going on in our country and in our world and to seek to look at it through the eyes of the Bible, through the lens of Scripture. And that's what I want to do this morning, um, hopefully to give us some encouragement as we think through and pray through how to be indeed, as Mark said, faithful uh, to you in our lives. And so um, in Acts chapter 1, let me just read uh, the first 11 verses of this passage. It says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth." And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven." This is the word of God. So as I said, one of the things that's important for us to do when we think about loving in the way that God calls us to love, being patient and kind, is think about the context in which he calls us to do that. And that's why we talk so much about loving those who are ungrateful and evil and all those kinds of things. But we can also think of it in terms of the bigger picture of what Christ has done for us and what Christ promises to do in the future. And what we have here in Acts chapter 1 is um, Christ commissioning the apostles and the church by extension and telling them what they're to do in the context of a discussion of the kingdom of God. 
It appears that during that 40 days that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead, before he ascended to heaven, his main topic was the kingdom of God. And so, of course, right before he ascended, their big question was, uh, is the kingdom going to come right away? Is it going to happen now? Are you going back to heaven and then everything's going to change? And he says, that's uh, basically for the Father to determine that timing. Just leave that in his hands. Your job between now and whenever I do return is to be my witnesses. And yet the picture that he laid out for the disciples was the picture you might call of a great reset. There was and is going to be a great reset of this world. Things are going to be radically changed at some point. And yet there are things that are going to happen before the great reset that Jesus is going to bring when he returns. And so I'd like to just highlight some of the things that are going on in our world right now that are a precursor to the return of Christ. And hopefully will help us to think through that as we see things happening around us. Let me see if this clicker is working this morning. Um, one of the things that I want to highlight for you is that um, depending on how much you pay attention to the news and listen to various people, you may or may not have picked up on what a lot of people are picking up on, is, which is the discussion of globalism, how we need to be part of the global community, how the world needs to come together and solve various problems. And one of the phrases that's used uh, by some to talk about this global effort to change the world is called the Great Reset. And so you may or may not be familiar with that, but actually back in November of 2020, Time Magazine, on the cover at the very top of it, it said the Great Reset. And it was talking about uh, things that are going on among various groups that have been brought together by uh, Prince Charles and what is called the World Economic Forum. And the leader of the World Economic Forum is a guy named Klaus Schwab, um, who's a German uh, economist, um, engineer. And he said, we need to act quickly to revamp all aspects of society and economies. And so the whole idea is there's this urgency that world leaders seem to have right now to work together to change society and to change economies. This little uh, picture here that I put up here, which says, um, this guy reminds me of Chris Johnson, but a picture of uh, this guy uh, and the tag says, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. That is actually the first slide in a video that you can watch online if you Google eight predictions for the world in 2030. There's a lot of talk about 2030 for some reason, that for some reason uh, that's the date that people have picked that these changes need to happen by because of climate change and other factors. But if you watch that video, uh, it basically goes through and it starts by saying it's just a It's a slide with music, and they're just giving you different um, ideas of what they predict the world will be like now. This was back in 2016, so now 
uh, nine years from now in 2030. The first slide says you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Whatever you want, you'll rent and it'll be delivered by drone. The second slide says the U.S. won't be the world's leading superpower. A handful of countries will dominate. The third slide says you won't die waiting for an organ donor. We won't transplant organs. We'll print new ones instead. The next slide says you'll eat much less meat, which is very bad news to me. <laughs> says an occasional treat, not a staple, for the good of the environment and our health. The next slide says a billion people will be displaced by climate change. We'll have to do a better job at welcoming and integrating refugees. If you think about what these slides are talking about, you can see a lot of these things being discussed and pursued in various ways, even in our own country. The next slide says polluters will have to pay to emit carbon dioxide. There will be a global price on carbon. This will help make fossil fuels history. The uh, Canadian-Alaskan pipeline. Um, the next thing it says, you could be preparing to go to Mars. Scientists will have worked out how to keep you healthy in space. The start of a journey to find alien life? Question mark. Then the last slide, which I think is especially applicable uh, to us as believers, it says Western values will have been tested to the breaking point. Checks and balances that underpin our democracies must not be forgotten. What are Western values? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, freedom, freedom, freedom. Uh, Western values will be tested to the breaking point. As I said, there are all kinds of people that are talking about some kind of reset that's going to cause these kinds of changes, hopefully in their minds by 2030. Uh, Prince Charles, the leaders of Russia and China, uh, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Coca-Cola, Verizon, Honda, Lockheed Martin, uh, Pfizer, all kinds of companies and people. Because the idea is you need both leaders in government and leaders in business to work together to bring about these changes. Now, some people would say this is all conspiracy theory. This has nothing to do with anything that's really happening. A conspiracy theory, though, is something is a secret plot that only a few people know about. This is not a secret thing. You can go on the World Economic Forum website and you can read. It will say the Great Reset and you can find out all that you want to find about it. There's nothing secret. It's a published agenda. It's very, very clear that this is what they really want to do. And the interesting thing is, Klaus Schwab, the leader of the World Economic Forum, wrote a book called COVID-19 and the Great Reset. And the idea is, as Winston Churchill said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And the good crisis is COVID-19. And so Klaus Schwab would say the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. Mark Benioff, I think is how you pronounce his last name, who owns Time Magazine, who had the cover on The Great Reset, has said this pandemic can be a great reset to a new, more compassionate, more fair capitalism, stakeholder capitalism. That is a clear path to equality. So what 
are the kinds of things they want to see addressed uh, over the next nine years that they've already begun to try to address. Well, they want to address poverty by establishing a universal income, universal health care, one currency, cryptocurrency probably. They want to address inequalities. They want to address environmental threats to the planet. That's why there's a big emphasis on dealing with climate change and green technologies. They want to somehow resolve the sources of conflicts between nations and between people. And part of the idea is no property, no privacy, but a lot of free stuff. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. The interesting thing is that there's this quote um, from um, the World Economic Forum talking about the world in 2030 where it says, someone commented on what they're saying by saying the bait, why do people even think this is a good idea? The bait to entice the masses is the assurance of comprehensive health care and a guaranteed basic income. The promoters of the Great Reset promise a world without diseases due to biotechnologically produced organs and individualized genetics-based medical treatments, a drastically increased life expectancy, and even immortality are said to be possible. Artificial intelligence will eradicate death and eliminate disease and mortality. The race is on among biotechnological companies to find the key to eternal life. It's interesting. And so the Great Reset is about global cooperation to use technology. That's why they talk about the fourth industrial revolution. It's the combination of various technologies like AI, artificial intelligence, and other uh, kinds of technologies to basically solve the issues of the world. Um, And yet globalism... Uh, having a unified world is very, very important for this whole thing to work. Everybody has to be on board. Everybody has to work together. In Revelation 13, you're welcome to turn there if you'd like to. There's just a couple verses there that will, it's actually in your notes. If you printed out the notes, we're going to probably start printing out the notes for you again very soon. But in Revelation 13, verses 7 and 8, what we do find in the Bible is a discussion of the fact that the, the world at some point is going to move toward globalization. Um, whether or not what's happening right now is going to actually cause us to reach a one-world government with one-world currency in our lifetime, I don't know. I have no idea what the time frame is, but what I do know is that there are verses like these that we find in Revelation that says there is a reason why the world is talking like this. There is a reason why uh, the world wants to move in this direction. And it's no surprise to God, and it's no surprise to what God has told us in the Word. And so in Revelation 13, verse 7, it says, It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. 
And so obviously this is a reference to what the Bible in other places talk talks about when it mentions the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness, as Paul refers to him in 2 Thessalonians. And if you notice at the very beginning in verse 7, it talks about the fact that all authority is given to him and it links that to he will make war with the saints. There's the combining of great persecution and a one-world government. And so I think that's why Jesus could say in Mark 13, 13, talking about the end times, you will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures, endures to the end, he will be saved. And so regardless of how long it may take for us to actually get to a one-world government, um, I think the Bible encourages us to begin praying from the very beginning of our Christian lives, help me to be faithful even unto death, because we never know what uh, the world might bring in terms of persecution in light of what is happening in light of the time in which we live. If you would turn to Genesis chapter 11, I want to link um, what we're hearing, regardless of what that may mean in the next 10, 20, 30, 50, or 100 years. I want to help us to see it in the, light, in the eyes of Scripture in light of what we see in Genesis chapter 11 because the reality is um, this is not the first time that mankind has talked about unifying in order to control its future and usher in a utopia. It's not the first time these kinds of discussions have happened. And so uh, we live in a time where um, the persecution of believers is increasing and could be even on, um, we could be on the real cusp of that more and more in our own country because of the Equality Act. If the Equality Act passes, there will be uh, issues for us as a church. And uh, Al Mohler has written an article called or entitled The Equality Act and the Rise of the Anti-Theological State. And he basically says the passage of the Equality Act would mean the death of religious liberty in our country. And so you've got all kinds of things moving toward the greater persecution of believers and moving toward globalization. And there's a reason for that, and it's not something new. It's actually something that's been around for a long time, and we actually see it reflected in Genesis chapter 11. In verse 1, it says, Now the whole earth, this is not long after the flood, and Noah and his family surviving the flood, and, and the earth is being repopulated as a result. It says in verse 1, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they will not understand one another's speech. 
So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord had told them at the very beginning, as well as after the flood, fill the earth, multiply and fill the earth. The world at this point says, no, we don't want to fill the earth. We want to stick together. We want to stay together. And so if you notice, three different times it says, let us. And this is humanity speaking collectively. It says in verse 3, let us uh, make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Uh, Then in verse 4, let us build for ourselves a city. And then also in verse 4, let us make for ourselves a name. And doesn't that remind you of something? Let us make man in our image in Genesis chapter 1. And we actually see God saying in verse 7, come let us go down and confuse their language. Man says, let us do what we want to do. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us stick together and ignore what God calls us to do. And God says, let us foil their plans. And that's exactly what happened. That's why we had uh, the nations disperse across the earth and why we have all the various languages that we do. It's interesting um, that the World Economic Forum, all these religious, excuse me, uh, corporate leaders and business leaders, uh, government leaders get together typically every year in a a city called Davos, uh, Switzerland, I think it is, uh, which happens to be the highest town in Europe. So they they gather in the highest town in Europe to talk about some very high and lofty goals, like eradicating poverty, like eradicating disease, like causing people to live forever. Some very, very high and lofty goals. Uh, Someone commenting on Genesis chapter 11 said, God's response to the presumption and arrogance of man was to make it harder for man to communicate and thus to unite in God belittling global plans. God has built into the world a system by which the pride of different groups of people restrains the pride of other groups of people. God knows the immense potential of human beings created in his own image. And he has given them amazing liberty to exalt themselves and design their own security systems without trusting him. But there are limits. Thousands of languages around the world and thousands of different peoples limit the global aspirations of arrogant mankind. God's division of the world into different languages hinders the rise of a global, monolithic, anti-Christian state that would have the power to simply wipe out all Christians. God is more concerned about the dangers of human uniformity than he is about human diversity. We humans are far too evil to be allowed to unite in one language or one government. But then the one who wrote this said... But isn't there going to be in the last days a great global government where Christians are in fact persecuted everywhere? The answer is yes. 
And so what we see happening today, regardless of where we might be on the timeline, so I'm not making any predictions about the return of Christ next year or anything like that, but regardless of where we might be on the timeline, what what is happening now is simply the same kind of thing that happened in Genesis chapter 11. The same spirit of disobedience is at work, just as it says in Ephesians chapter 2. And it's interesting, if you look at the book of Revelation, it talks about Babylon. The reality is, when it says um, Babel in Genesis chapter 11, that could be translated Babylon. In every other place in Scripture, like 250-something other times, it's translated Babylon instead of Babel. So it's talking about Babylon when it says Babel. Babel is kind of a a way of uh, disparaging what happened there, confusion. But the word there is actually for Babylon. And if you read Revelation, the picture that we have of the anti-God, anti-Christ culture and world and even city is called Babylon. Because it reflects the same kind of spirit that Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon uh, in the Old Testament, said when he thought in his own heart, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? That's the spirit of Babylon. And it says in Revelation 16, the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. God will destroy Babylon the great. God will destroy what Augustine called the city of man. He wrote a a book called The City of God. And he contrasted the city of God versus the city of man. And he said history is really a tale of two cities, the city of God and the city of man. And the book of Revelation says very, very clearly that God will will destroy the city of man. The self-exalting, man-exalting city of man will be destroyed. And God is going to see that that happens. Well, we've talked about the fact that Babylon is alive and well, but the reality is the real great reset, as I alluded to earlier, is the return of Christ. And I don't know about you, but uh, there are those who have looked around at what's going on in our country and in our culture and have begun to think about their own eschatology. Eschatology means your your view of what the end times is going to look like and what it's going to look like before Christ comes back. James White is a Reformed apologist, and he was one of the ones that I've listened to lately where he talked about the fact that uh, just looking at what's happening in culture caused him to reevaluate his own eschatology. And now he's a a post-millennialist. He said, I just come to the conclusion that that's really where I need to stand. Well, I don't stand where he stands as far as that goes, but I've had the same experience. As I look at what's happening in our country and in our world, it has raised the question, it has raised the question in my own mind, what is happening here? What, what should be my view of what is to come? And the reality is, 
human beings are really trying hard to figure out how to reset the world, how to have peace and prosperity and even eternal life apart from God. It's not going to happen. It's going to be a failed project just like it was for those at the Tower of Babel. But that doesn't mean there isn't a reset coming. There is a great reset coming, which is the return of Christ. And so when we think about what we see in Acts chapter 1, again, it basically reminds us that for the Lord Jesus, he wanted us as his followers to think about our lives in the context of his first coming and his second coming. He wanted us to live our lives in light of the fact that he has done some things for us and he's promised some things to us. And that what we do now should be influenced greatly by both his first coming and his second coming. And it's not biblical for us to not think about his second coming. It's, it's not right for us to uh, not think in terms of what does the future hold and how should I live in light of that. If you would turn to Second Peter chapter 3, Peter in his second epistle, makes it very clear that how we look at what is coming upon this world, whether it be in the next generation or not, it should influence how we live our lives. Second Peter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Second Peter 3.10. In verse 11, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. So the Bible says there's going to be a a reset. The earth is going to be burned up, and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And Peter says, you need to live in the light of that. He says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, verse 11, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness. Like I mentioned, another verse in Revelation 18:21 says, uh, Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. So the reality is, whatever might be happening now or in the future, to uh, erect a uh, heaven on earth without God... It will be destroyed. It will fail. And yet, there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And God calls us to live our lives in light of that. And let me just mention a couple things which we'll, Lord willing, expand on later on in terms of application. So what what should we do in light of this? If you would turn to Matthew 24. Matthew 24 One of the things that's often talked about with regard to eschatology is whether or not the return of Christ is imminent. And that 
phrase imminent can be understood different ways. Um, Some mean by that he could come any moment, like he could come right now. Others would say that it means he could come um, in the near future. And we should be prepared in light of the near future. But they say in the near future because there are things that have to happen before he comes back. And why do we believe that? We believe that because the Bible says there are certain things that have to happen before he comes back. And if those things haven't happened yet, I can't say that he'll come right now, you know, or anything like that. And the Lord Jesus himself encourages us to think along these lines when he says in verse 32 of Matthew 24, he tells us to learn something. He says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So Jesus says that we should think in terms of eschatology in light of the fig tree, in light of the approach of summer. He says, in the wintertime, the fig tree has no leaves, but as summer approaches, it begins to bear leaves. And he says, that's how you know when summer is near. And he says, that's how you know, you'll know that my coming is near. There will be things happening. There will be signs that take place that let you know. In Luke 21, Jesus said, but when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So the idea is, even though the world will be in the dark about when Christ comes, Paul and the Lord Jesus himself could say, it does not have to take you by complete shock and being completely unaware. There are signs that things will um, are about to change. Um, there is going to be a reset. Isn't that what it means when you change your password? You reset it? It means you change it. You don't leave it the same. And God is going to reset the world, and there are some things that are going to happen before that reset takes place. And I'll just mention these briefly, and maybe Lord willing we'll talk more about these in the future. But in Second Thessalonians, Paul says it will not happen until the apostasy happens. He says it will not happen until the man of lawlessness is revealed. If you read other verses, it talks about the establishment of a one world government and society. It talks about signs and wonders that are so great that if possible, the very elect would be deceived. But it's not possible that that could happen. It talks about the increase of knowledge. It talks about... um, the gospel being preached to every nation talks about the salvation of the Jewish people. Uh, it talks about a great persecution of believers where we are hated not just in sections of the world, but by all people, all nations. So there, there are things that the Bible talks about that you could consider fig leaves that we're to watch out for and be aware of. But the last thing is, 
regardless of where we are on the timeline with regard to what's happening in the world and when Christ is going to come back, and even what's going to happen in our country over the next nine years, um, God calls us to be faithful. Uh, we don't have to know all the details, and, and Jesus told the, uh, the apostles, God is going to give you all the details. He's not going to give you the day and the hour of my return. He's not going to tell you all that you'd want to know. But Jesus has encouraged us. If you read Matthew 24 and the other gospel passages that talk about eschatology, what Jesus had to say about the end times, the practical application is, one, look up when certain things start to happen because your redemption draws nigh. And secondly, just seek to be faithful. Just seek to be faithful where you are. For instance, we have in Matthew 24, verses 44 through 46, where Jesus said, For this reason you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? There's a story that I've told before about this king who assigned a job to two servants. And he said, if you might remember, he said, I want you to take uh, your buckets and I want you to go over to this well, I want you to draw water out of this well and bring it over and pour it into this wicker basket. And so they began doing that and they began to observe how every time they dumped water into the wicker basket, it just ran out on the ground. And one of the servants said, this is silly, this is foolish, this is a waste of time. I'm not going to spend my time all day long just pouring water into a basket that will not even hold the water. And so he walks away. The other guy says, hey, we're getting paid for it. What's the problem? I'm just going to keep doing what I'm supposed to to do. And he did all day long until he basically drained the well. And at the bottom of the well, he could see something. And what he saw was a diamond ring. He said, oh, I see why the king wanted us to do what we did, because if we had caught up by chance the ring in our bucket, we would have poured it into the basket and it would have been caught in the basket. It didn't happen, but we still were able to find the ring at the bottom of the well. So he realized there was a reason that the king commanded what he commanded, that the king was wiser than the other guy thought he was, and maybe even wiser than he thought he was. There was good reason to be faithful, even when you don't understand all that's going on, even when you don't understand why you're being told to do what you're called to do. The reality is, you could argue uh, that there is a re- great reset coming uh, in terms of this world, in terms of what's going to happen right before Christ comes back then ultimately there is going to be a wonderful great reset when the new heavens and the new earth happen. But the call for all of us is to make sure there's a personal reset. And that personal reset is called repentance. That's why in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. There needs to be a, a, a reset in our own hearts and lives where we go from living to do our will to do God's will. We stop trusting in our righteousness and we trust in the righteousness of Christ. That's a huge reset. The Bible calls it from going from death to life. That kind of 
reset. And Paul could say in Romans 12 that we're to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice and we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, which is the ongoing process of reset where God continually renews our minds so that we see things from his perspective and we prove what the will of God is. We live it out more and more in our lives. Well, let me close real quickly with this. There's a guy named Bertrand Russell who is considered by many to be the greatest British philosopher ever, I guess. He was an atheist. He lived between 1872 and 1970 and... He was asked in 1951 after World War II what he thought the future would hold. And he said there are three things I think the future could hold. He said, number one, the end of all human life. We're just not going to make it because of wars like we had just had. Secondly, a reversion to barbarism. You know, we're just going to basically eat each other alive and there's not going to be very many people left. We're going to be back to living in caves and, and um, you know, digging stuff out of the ground. Thirdly, he said, a unification of the world under a single government possessing a monopoly of all the major weapons of war. Why do governments tend toward wanting to confiscate weapons? Because it's all about control. And it's all about the philosophy that the reason why we have wars is because we have all these different nations. And the way we eliminate war and even eliminate poverty is we unite the nations and we make sure people do not have the means to rebel. And so he, he would say that you have to have a single government with a monopoly of armed force. And he actually said, you know, there, there may be some problems with that initially. might cause some heartache and pain. But he would say it'll be worth it. And he said, if this hope is not realized, we face utter disaster. If it is realized, the world will be far better than at any previous period in the history of man. I fully believe there are plenty of people that agree with Bertrand Russell that the only way that we can eliminate conflict and eliminate poverty and have a utopia on this world without God is if we have a one world government, one world currency, and we eliminate people's ability to rebel. Psalm chapter 2 basically says that That kind of thing is what drives a lot of things going on in our world, including the crucifixion of Christ, as well as the rebellion at the end of the world. In Psalm 2, it says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast their cords away from us. You know, how people are talking about uh, the transgender issue now as biological bondage. I want to cast away the cores that God has placed on me. Whatever it may be, I want to cast away the cords that God has placed on us. We want to be free to do what we want to do. We don't want to submit to God. It goes on to say, 
He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. It's basically saying you can do whatever you want to build your own edifice to your own glory, but I've already established who's going to be king, and his name is Jesus. And at the end of that psalm, it says, Do homage to the Son that he may not become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. The good news is Jesus is king and he's willing to forgive and rescue us from the destruction that is to come. If we will lay down our arms, if we will lay down our rebellion and surrender to him, trust in what he's done, surrender our lives to him, he will be our refuge in the day of God's wrath. But God has made it clear the world will not succeed in their rebellion. And he has already established who's going to be king forever. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to be encouraged as your people, that we need not be afraid of all that's happening, that Jesus rules and reigns now, and he will bring heaven to earth one day. There will be a great reset that will bring the peace and joy and righteousness that our hearts long for. But help us to realize, Father, that we need to receive and rest in the Lord Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, lest we be judged by him. I pray that all of us here this morning and all those even watching online would be given the grace to turn from sin and to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone as Lord and as Savior. And may we find much joy and peace in believing now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.